welcome back to the Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. Holy jeez, and Lemuel is excited to get Lemuel forward. Done with. Uh, welcome back, and this week we're going to talk about episode four of Lisey's story, entitled Jim Dandy. Mm-hmm. Before we get started, how was your week? My week was actually, it's it's wonderful today. Do you know it's, why it's wonderful today? The uh, water is falling from the sky. It's rainy and cloudy and overcast. It's my favorite time of year. It's autumn. Mm-hmm. Autumn. It's the fall. It's autumnal. How was your week? It was good, I think. We also had a really interesting time. We had friends over on Friday. We did. We decided yes. to do an impromptu game night, and it was really fun. And you played with us, yes, and it I was did. fun. I played with and us. you. And it was a win. game I was unfamiliar with called Timeline. Mm-hmm. And timeline challenge to be Pacific game playing, and there were shots of southern, southern comfort and my ties in a can. I also had a white Russian from a can, and it was delicious. Right? Yeah. Yep. 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 That was fun. Then we so had a relaxing weekend. I did some painting. You were gone all day on Sunday <sighs> to the vast reaches of the North Bay. Yes, Petaluma, the great Petaluma. unexplored territory, and there was a. A um, antiques fair. Antiques fair, yes. And you know what's interesting is, to me, just the odd things that people decorate their houses with. I um, and I wish. Uh, no, I don't wish. One of the things I see quite frequently are sculptural andirons, which are these metal busts of women or men in turbans for some reason, and they are the. The fireplace irons that hold your logs in place. But now they've been sawn off and they're used as bookends. But I never have enough room on any bookshelf to need a bookend. Ever. No, it's not for a bookshelf. It's for the top or a table. Yeah, but they're being used as bookends. Or well I understand mm-hmm. no no no, I'm saying you put you don't put bookends. I think mm-hmm. it's weird if you put bookends in a bookshelf. It's right. for the top of the bookshelf where there is no sides. Right. Or like like on your desk or on the top of this. Please excuse the police presence. It's Oakland. It's Oakland. Um, That's how the, we do. The other thing that is being used as decoration are um, like blocks that are used to print patterns on old wallpaper. Okay. The block itself like are they like linoleum things? Mm. Like, like um, it's wooden and it's oh. carved, and they're set on or they're mounted. Well, I figured carved, but I and know hung people on walls. do like linotype carving. Yeah. Oh no, this is a different thing, and so it's three dimensional and it's sculptural, and it uses wall hangings all over walls. So I was very surprised by the number of things that people do decorate their hands with, their houses with. And then there's just you like swords. I don't yes. know why this is a surprise to you. Also, curly candles that look like coils. Yes, it looks like a snake, a little candle snake. And then there were yeah, there was um, one booth that was just there were some beautiful antiques, and there was what appeared to be manky old cans. And one booth was just manky old cans with holes in them. They were tree sap cans for gathering tree sap. So that was unusual. I have no idea what that is or why it's done, but I suppose I need it for maple syrup. Maple syrup. 
We have some bourbon barrel aged maple syrup. We should do that. We have waffles. <laughs> well, I can't eat waffles anymore. I got to get rid of the waffles. I made them so long ago. Mm. Y'all, when you have a tiny waffle maker, you should make less waffle mix. You're right. This I have learned. You want to get started on the show? I'm going to get started. Okay, so last week... Something happened this week. Last week <laughs> I said, it's going to pop off. Oh, yeah. And uh, I was right. Um, before we start talking about this episode i would like your input as to how at the end of the last episode you were like i'm over this Mm -hmm. i don't want to do it anymore how do you feel today same um (laughs) i don't feel the same because i actually got some movement on this story yeah um i think the great pity is that it's a very difficult episode, and we should probably warn people that... Yeah, this episode's rough. I watched mm-hmm. it twice, yeah. uh, and that was hard. Thank you for your service. Mm, and I took the notes the second time, because I don't take the notes the first time. Mm. And uh, I did fast-forward through some of it, because I was like, I know what's happening, and mm. I don't need to listen to, to it happening. Right. I will say a lot of the violence is off-screen. But none of the sounds are. It's staged in such a way that you don't see the actual violence. But you do see when well, see we'll, we'll talk about it. Later. We we do a see lot. some awful things though, and um, and yes, we'll discuss that later. Yeah. I guess we'll just so get we'll into get. It. Oh, you want to get into it? Mm-hmm. Oh, excuse me, I'm so sorry. Oh, and I'm gonna have some thoughts at different points of this. Yes. That are contrary to my regular thoughts, I think. Big things and little things. So this episode is called Jim Dandy. Mm -hmm. Uh, It aired originally on June 18th of 2021. Mm -hmm. And it is the fourth of eight. We have now watched half of the series. Uh, Content warning for violence against women. And uh, talk of self-harm. Uh, you see a weapon, uh, you see a firearm uh, and a taser, mm-hmm. um, but not, neither being used. And also, trigger warning, if you have any squeamishness around a pizza cutter, y'all, remember two episodes ago, that shit was Chekhov's pizza cutter, and it comes back in a big bad way in this episode. All right. I think the next started. thing I write, I'm just going to leave all sorts of stuff in there that never gets used. Never gets used. <coughs> and just piss everybody off? Yes, I all think right. so. Give them something different. So we know at the end of the last episode, Lisey has seen Darla off and she is going into the office, right into the the work barn. I don't know even how to... It's like almost like a guest house. It's got yes. a downstairs... It, I got, imagine at one point that it was a functional barn or something. Yes. And, and it now, appears to be a loft. Mm-hmm. And the loft The loft space. is like his work area. Right. And then downstairs, there's like couches and chairs. Mm-hmm. It's it's very much like I, I would think that if they had guests, they'd put right. them up there. Um, but it's also clearly where he worked. Um, so she's going into there. Uh, that's a problem because uh, Jim's, Jim's in there. Right. Jim, Jim's in there. Jim Dandy. So she goes and she uh, goes up to the, to the upstairs and she hits play on what appears to be a 30-year-old answering machine. That's age discrimination. Something we should have given a trigger warning for. a bananas old voicemail machine, or answering machine. It is, it looks like a record player. Mm -hmm. It's massive. 
and it's got wood paneling on it. It's you know I'm pretty you're sure too young to remember when, real. when I don't wood paneling was sexy. I am too young to understand to, to to know and understand that. But what you need to understand mm-hmm. is oh what, uh, what I need to understand is how this thing still works because we had answering mm-hmm. machines in the nineties mm-hmm. and in the eighties. And none of them look like this. So is this from the 80s or the 70s? This could be like a steampunk answering machine. When was the first answering machine? I, I oh, no, 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 no. Somebody's Googling oh answering Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you it's, saw that rabbit hole and you stepped in it. It's so old. Uh, yeah, it looks like this. No, it doesn't. It, that even looks too new. Panasonic. When did you get invented? Oh, hell. Well, 1898. <laughs> the answer is the late 1800s. Yes, they were part of Bachelor Pads and the Avengers, the television show. Well, that wasn't in the 1800s. That was no, no, but what I mean is that they were literally reel to wheel, real, yes. and they had to be mounted on a wall. Okay, but that was part of their that. secret so spy like gadget. This, this may be a 70s era answering machine. Okay. I've never seen in my lifetime mm-hmm. an answering machine that looked like that. And and when I was a kid in the 80s, we had old shit because right. we were poor. So I never saw an It just has a weirdly like retro. It's kind of like when you're watching Planet of the Apes and you're going, it's futuristic, but not. So yes, it's a Planet of the Apes It was massive machine. and wild. So, But it still works because mm-hmm. she hits play or whatever and we hear the voice of Dane DeHaan, James Dooley, Jim Dandy, whatever you want to call him. And uh, he's like, you know, I thought we had an understanding, this, that, and the other. And she out in, into the office says, fuck you, J- Jim Dandy, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then he says out loud, well, that's not nice, missus. And she turns away from the sound of his voice, I guess. I don't understand. Because he is then, he walks up behind her. This is an open room. I do not understand what happens here. And she, and he puts a bag over, a plastic bag over her head. Where she, and she struggles against him. He's choking her out. She's having trouble breathing because it's a plastic bag over her head. Uh, And then she loses consciousness. Now, Pro tip, pro tip. Mm-hmm. This well, is from me, okay. the, the non-self-defense expert. We'll get to the pro tip from the self-defense <laughs> expert in a second, but I didn't need him to tell me this. Her mouth was wide open and gasping in the plastic to this bag. Put, rip the bag from your mouth. You could, you have fingers. You, she could have ripped that bag open. Mm-hmm. She's still going to deal with the garroting around her neck. Fine. But she doesn't have the plastic bag suffocating her. And I don't understand why she didn't do any of that. All right, what's your pro tip? Um, is actually very simple. Don't turn your back to mysterious voices. Yes, that. Uh, step number two, get to the doorway. And yeah. step number three, yes, that was absolutely the right choice. Just stick your thumb in your mouth and break that plastic. And also to turn around to face your attacker if you're in that situation. If you can. Because then the pressure isn't on your carotid, but on the back of your neck, which can take it. Yeah, that's true. So, yes, don't just... She behaves... She... Okay. 
Mm-hmm. This is the episode, this is an episode, wherein Lisey makes every bad decision yes. she possibly can. This okay. episode should be called Lisey's Poor Choices. Poor Choices. All right. Jim puts on a record and Lisey wakes up and she has her hands by, down behind her back. And she looks like she's in a pile on the floor. I'm mm. unclear as to what exactly is happening. And uh, she says he's thirsty, and he gives her something to drink, which at first you thought might be piss, but then he drinks out of it, too, and it's just like this yellow Gatorade or whatever. Yes. Yeah, it looks like piss. It's very unappealing, it's whatever so it is. so yellow. Yeah. Um, and they talk. he talks about how they don't have very much time, even though he'd like to stay because this is a nice place. He doesn't begrudge a nice place for Scott. He deserved it. He says he made all his money with a special gift. And you did nothing but warm his bed. That makes you something of a parasite, doesn't it? We find out that his favorite book is The Coaster's Daughter. Uh, He says he loved it. He read it to pieces. And he quotes a line with tears in his eyes. Well, he doesn't really. She quotes a line. She says, do you remember what he says, Mm. this character says? And she says, yes. He says, he tells his father that he doesn't understand the duty of love and that's repeated and I'm like oh hey I know what that means that's understandable I know what that means um and then he talks about how many people have felt something like that but don't have the words to say it and that was Scott's special power and I'm like um that is many writers that's not a special power among writers right if you can't do that then you're not a writer right putting putting what most people can't put into words into words is Specifically, what writers mm-hmm. do? Not all writers. Well, if not they, all the time. Right. If they can't do it, then they shouldn't. But you know, most great yeah. writers, at one point or another, have written something that is transcendent and does put something that is fundamentally true about being a human being into understandable and speakable words. Right. So my my feeling is that this gentleman has read no one else. So yeah, and honestly, okay, this is gonna feel uncharitable. So All right, I, I hesitate to, to say it, but I have taken part in some Stephen King fan groups, and mm-hmm. there are some people who look at Stephen King like this, and it is literally mm-hmm. all that they have ever read, and all that they will ever read. And they think that everything that he writes is perfect, et cetera, et cetera. There, there, there is a subset. And, like, Stephen King is writing of what he knows, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that any of his fans are as unhinged as this one is. I think they are. Um, I think his fear but, of fans is something you see in Misery. Yeah. Is well, some, he also right. writes a specific type of literature mm-hmm. that... That attracts a, a, a darker individual, mm-hmm. and then if that darker individual ha- then goes dar- darker, even then, still, right. even still, that's when you get into yeah, some scary, some scary situations. Um, and so then he reads um, another thing that he has found in a manuscript there in the in the office, and. Um, and says, you know, this is another brilliant piece of writing or whatever, and you're holding it back and it's not fair to the world or whatever. 
and she has sta- stood up now. She is. She's her hands are still um, fastened Bound. behind her mm-hmm. back. Unclear how my guess zip ties, but I don't know. Well, we can't see because they're behind her back. No, they're behind her back. Mm-hmm. And uh, she says, "You know what I see in front of me? A thief." That is not what Jim wants to hear from her. And he informs her of that by headbutting her real hard in in the head. He headbutted her head, right? Right. And then he does this bizarre mosh to old-timey folksy music. I think it might be the crickets. That's what one of the articles that I read um, said. And it is... It is half tantrum, half seizure. Like, no, but like it looks like a medical emergency. Well, I know people who move like this, so it's it's not. It's unusual, and it's weird for this time and place on the music that he's right. listening to. Um, but it's also a fear tactic. Like he's definitely mm-hmm. trying to scare her along alongside right. just trying to get. I think he's also trying to burn off the energy that makes him want to murder this woman right here. Because mm. that's not what he's fixing to do. Yet. And then, of course, he does the ever-famous uh, abuser line, you made me do that, and talks about their agreement and how she's broken the agreement that she's going to give the professor all of Landon's papers and he'll leave her alone. That's and the I, I just didn't understand the nature of this agreement because I never remember her saying this. As a matter she fact, did not agree. I remember that. her she saying keeps, the exact opposite. She keeps saying they don't have an agreement, and he keeps just talking over her, denying uh, the actual truth, mm-hmm. real facts. And um, he then uh, beats her very badly. We don't see it. Um, before he does, he says, secret secrets are no fun. Secret secrets hurt someone. So that's fun. Well, what you see is him punching violently and repeatedly off frame. Yes. It's very he, similar. We see him punching. We don't right. see her at all. It's very similar to the uh, framing of uh, Robert Pattinson's Batman beatdown in the trailer for the Batman. That's exactly what it reminded me of. He's, I did not see the trailer for the Batman. Yes, he's punching someone really violently off screen, and it just goes on and on. <sighs> like Bruce Wayne didn't kill people. Jaguar chewing on someone's face. It yeah, just it goes, goes on, on and on and on. Yeah. So then he changes the music up. He's, he puts on some, I think it's some opera. Mm-hmm. And there's a long segment of him eating, and it it's rough in the Foley world, y'all. Like, this whatever the opposite of ASMR is. If you have problems with listening to people eating, this scene is going to be very upsetting to you. Uh, and then she tries to placate him uh, by saying that there's a sequel to one of his mm-hmm. more famous books. He says there's just a chapter and an outline in there. He's already looked. Uh, and then he says, if, if he doesn't hear from the prof by 10 o'clock tomorrow night, tomorrow night uh, then the hurting's going to be worse and she pleads with him because the professor does not have a way to get a hold of him right his phone number has been disconnected and he's not responding to email and his email I guess is bouncing so back so what, what do you think is behind that 
He makes this condition that she can't meet. I don't think he's in the same state of existence that you and I are in okay. at any point. I think he has gone fully mad at this point. I think he thinks that they had an agreement. Mm-hmm. I think he's holding up his end of the bargain. And I think he thinks that the professor will call him. Right. He doesn't have a phone with him. And you guys... Call him how? He's not going home. Yeah. He, he, I, yeah no, that, that's the thing. There is no... Yeah. It's not a lot. He's not accessible thought, But I think way. that he... Legi- I don't think he is... I don't think he is setting up a framework that he does not believe she can meet. Mm-hmm. I think he's setting up a framework that he does not believe that she will meet... But she's going to hold her responsible. He's going to hold her responsible for that, even though there's nothing that she can do. Right. There's nothing that she can do to mitigate this at this point. Uh, except there is. We'll get to it in a second. Um, and he continues to say, you know, that they've got this agreement and this is what's going to happen. And then he beats her again with the pizza cutter. And there is... A lot of screaming, and it was some of the most realistic screaming yeah. I've heard in uh, anything, because she is not screaming that high-pitched, ah! No, it is a guttural, it is the sound that you make when you get hurt. Yeah, uh, we were talking about this, and I think it's interesting to, to share it with our listeners. Um, I'd seen an interview with Beverly Garland. Who yes. was a B movie actress? Who that's unfair because she was an actress. She was an actress. She, she appeared a lot of movies, movies with Roger, for Roger Corman, and she did an interview, I think on Entertainment Tonight many years ago, where she gave a tutorial on film screaming, and what she said was, "You scream in the high register because you have to do take after take yeah. after take." It's a falsetto. Right. It's not going to blow your voice out. You're going to be able to actually deliver lines afterwards. Right. And you think <laughs> about someone like uh, Faye Ray, who spent so much of her time on screen in King mm-hmm. Kong. Mm-hmm. Original just screaming. Song, just screaming at the yeah. top of her lungs. Yeah. Which is a sound mm-hmm. that I think I've made twice in my life. Right. If I'm startled, that might be a sound that escapes my mouth. Yeah. But I am not a... Like, when I scream, it's a yell. It's not a scream. Right. Well, th- that's why Beverly Garland's thing was... And she was very funny. She's like... Turn around, okay, when the dolly is behind you, you scream over your shoulder. And then she did it and started pretending like she was running. And this is your scream when somebody has an axe above your head. And she looks up. Looks and up. <laughs> puts her hands up. like. To, and so, she practiced that. She yes, did vocal warm-ups. I promise you on days yeah, off, she, she did was it. doing it. Essentially, yeah. it was like singing. You mm-hmm. were controlling your voice so that you didn't go hoarse. Yeah. The actor who did the, the growling and grumbling in the 76 King Kong movie... He said at the end of his several hours of his take, didn't know how to control his voice this way uh, and just coughed up a cup full of blood at the end of his session. Oh, God. Yeah, because you can run yeah. yourself raw. Yeah. And so it's, Especially if you keep going and keep right. going and keep going. And I, I hope to God that no such thing happened with her. Yeah. With um, Julianne Moore. Right. It may not even have been her. It sounds like her. Mm-hmm. Um, but my She's sense also, is it was probably ADR'd. She's a consummate actress. She is. I, I believe it. She that. is very good in mm-hmm. these scenes. She's not doing a lot. A mm-hmm. lot of the rest of this is um, just her fucked up face because right. she... Okay, so we hear her screaming. We hear her screaming in Booyah Moon. Mm-hmm. We see the pool and the amphitheater and Amanda can hear her and Scott's there in his hoodie. Mm-hmm. He can also hear her. Uh, 
y'all, if y'all recall, Scott's been dead for two years. Right. Yeah. So I'm waiting to see the end of that, too. So, um, although Scott was a double, so what that means, we don't know. Uh, and Amanda says, Lisey, oh no, oh no. Like, she's aware enough there. Uh, and then it's sunset, the sun's going down. And Jim leaves, and he's got a big case. And he, uh, whoa. <laughs> and he uh, drives down the road to an empty house. So mm-hmm. convenient. That house is Amanda's. And my question to you right now is... What's your question? How the fuck does he know where Amanda lives? I have no idea. Perhaps he found something... It, oh, perhaps he did some sort of research. I mean, he knew where... He knew where other... Like, Scotland and old houses were and stuff. Right. Which I can understand you being able to find fairly easily on the internet. Like, mm-hmm. people go to this old Stephen King house and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know that I could find Tabitha's sister's house on the internet. You right. know what I mean? Like, because that's what it would be. It's an in-law's home. Okay. Um, so he's there. There's a weird cut where he's just standing out looking away from the house. I don't know what that cut means or what it's about. And then he goes back and goes into the house mm. and he makes a sandwich and then he leaves the detritus out. Uh, that's like the third sandwich we've seen him eat. He eats a lot of sandwiches. I like sandwiches too, so. Okay, so Lisi, we see Stand, and she reads the note, and it was very hard for us to read, and I actually, I could read it on my computer. Okay, because I couldn't make it. Make it out, yeah, yeah. He is, it's a pencil hand, it's a pencil written note on a yellow legal paper mm-hmm. that is shown in shadow. It is difficult to read right. in the thing, but it says, tend to yourself by yourself. Tell anyone I was here and I'll kill you. But I will kill your sisters first. Believe this, your friend Jim Dandy. And she screams, real screams, and she goes and cleans herself up in the bathroom. And mm. she's a, a mess. mess. Her, it's, it looks like her one of her orbital sockets is broken. Uh, she can barely open one of her eyes. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of bruising and cuts all over her face. And he has cut her chest um, up. With yeah, he the, slashed her with a pizza cutter. With a pizza a cutter. And she's wrecked. And she um, hears Scott's voice say, all Landons are fast healers, but she says out loud into the mirror, I'm only a Landon by marriage. Mm. Oh, by the way, guys, I was saying his name wrong. It is Landon, like Michael. It is. Mm-hmm. I was right. Uh, but then I overcorrected into Langdon. It's, Land- it's Landon. 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 So... I'm going to change it again three times before this miniseries is over. Look at it. I'm there with you. Uh huh. I support you no matter what Landon choice you make. And I want to take a pause right here. Mm-hmm. Actually, I don't. No, okay. I'll, I'll bring up my point in another minute. I support you. Uh, then we have the flashback to when they were under the tree. We saw it under the yum-yum tree. Uh, you'll recall from last episode, mm-hmm. which was called um, Under the Yum-Yum Tree. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Convenient. Scott doesn't want to tell her about Paul, and she says, you have to tell me everything, but then we'll never talk about it again. And that's when the water starts coming up. And um, they flip over into Booyah Moon on Sweetheart Hill, which he refers to as his and Paul's place. And then 
he is under the tree and she is in a trance and he's trying to wake her up. Mm. And then we flip back into the present. And Lisi picks a blanket and wraps herself around it and she hobbles downstairs. And the phone is ringing and she answers the phone and it's the sheriff. And the sheriff says, why do you sound funny? And she says, I'm tired. I'm going to bed. And the sheriff says, uh, there's an officer outside your house if you need anything. She says, thanks, and hangs up. She's not going to tell the police. Here's what I need to say. Okay. Jim Dooley is one man without a cell phone or backup who's mentally ill but doesn't appear to have a weapon other than a pizza cutter on him. She needs to tell the police. I'm not a person who says call the police, but right now, bitch, call the police. She needs to call the police. She needs to get Darla into protective custody. And fucking Amanda needs a guard because clearly she needed a guard anyways because that hospital wasn't doing a great job keeping her her from explicitly doing the thing that they were there to keep her from doing. Um... The police. She needs to call the police. She needs to tell them what has happened. There is no reason. He is not a supernatural being. He is a man. He is a. Ch- he is basically a child. He's a young twenties man. He he does like I said. He doesn't have backup. He's not working for a unit. He has gone rogue from the person who hired him in the first place. All she needs to do is not be at home. Mm-hmm. And her sisters could be with her. He's not coming through cops. That's not a thing that's going to happen. This is ridiculous. Yeah, I I had problems with that too. Because I think that, um, that she could sort of pull the plug on his entire operation and his, you know, his reign of terror right now. Right now. Walk to that police car. Mm -hmm. That's literally all you have to right. do. You look like trash. Mm-hmm. You look horrible. Clearly, you have been violently assaulted. Right. Everyone knows who the fuck it is because there's a voicemail in there saying it's him. And we all know who it is because he uh, previously... I mean, he doesn't seem to be covering his tracks He at is all. not. He's in no way covering his tracks. Now, I have a theory, but you go ahead. I have some theories, too, mm-hmm. but... but and if supernatural, if he's able to do supernatural shit, which we right now right. have absolutely no right way of knowing that we know he that could. she's able to, she is, and yet she is not. And I think that's what we're. But she in doesn't yet. need supernatural right mm-hmm. now. She needs to get her sisters some safety and to get and once again a moving company out here to take all of Scott's shit and put it in the goddamn vault. It's not. I don't. What is she doing? All right. Sorry, we're going to go, okay. (laughs) I just, and I'm not a call the cops person, but right now, you are a brutalized white woman. (laughs) If not you. The cops will be totally in your favor. (laughs) Like, she literally wouldn't even have to do anything. Mm -hmm. She could walk out to that cop car and shit would be handled. Like, I don't, I don't understand this. I don't get it. Right. Um, And here's, Another reason why this needs to happen. We see Darla pulling up to Amanda's house. Well, the last time one of these sisters walked into a a house that held Jim Dooley, Mm -hmm. she didn't fucking fare so well. So you're the whole time just going, "Um, is Darla about to eat it? Jennifer Jason Lee? 
bet you could take him. Right. She, she probably, probably could. back a little bit. She Well, sees, she has weapons in her house. Well she She sees uh-huh. the 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 detritus from Jim's sandwich out right. and also the piles of Oreos that are still there. And she goes into um, Amanda's room and she grabs what appears to be mace, mm-hmm. a gun, and a taser and puts them all in her bag. She's walking through the house right. and we see Jim just sitting in the bathroom in the dark. And if Darla went into the wrong room, it would have been a fucking problem. Yeah, but I think but also... She didn't. He's not so stupid as he's going to attack a person who has... He's a, not going to attack her, right. but if she had walked into that bathroom, they would have had a problem. Um, and it's... She doesn't find him, and he does not accost her. But, like, he absolutely could have killed her had he wanted to. I do think she's got a little more fight than Lisa, mm-hmm. but... Um, then we're back at the pool, the misty pool, Lisa's favorite place on the property, I think. And she is dunking that crocheted bit mm-hmm. of Afghan into right. the pool and, and rinsing her face with it. Um, and this is where this episode gets real timey-wimey. We're going to get... Yeah. We're going to get real into the, the flips in time, back and forth. Uh, I'm pretty sure the time from the beginning of this scene to the end of the episode is probably about five minutes, mm-hmm. but we're going to go through a lot of memory right. and stuff. Uh, and we see a flashback to earlier that day with Darla um, and Darla asking, I think it was that day, and Darla asking, did you believe, yeah, because she's wearing the same clothes. Right. Did you believe all that stuff? I thought you were the pragmatic one. I'm like, of all these sisters, I'm pretty sure you're the pragmatic one, Darla. Um, even though you don't understand how money works, because you either you're mad at people who don't have any, but then you're also mad when people do have some. And I don't know, I don't know how to win that fight. Um, and sh- and uh, Lisi says the pool doesn't just have the power to heal; it has the power to fascinate and. Then we see a text from Darla in the present that says, I went by Amanda's house. I got the gun. To which Lisi responds, good, throw it in the river. Yeah, I Once still again, don't understand it. a bad yeah. choice. Because you know what a gun can do? Probably stop Jim Dooley, I'm just saying. Mm. Um, and then Darla responds with, you could have at least done the dishes. Which Lisi looks at quizzically, but doesn't make the connection that uh, that dude's in her sister's house right now. Right. Which, frankly, if she had gone to the car, if instead of sitting by the pool, if she had gone out to the police car and that text had come through mm-hmm. and a police officer had seen it, right. they would have known what the fuck that meant. <laughs> I'm just saying. Like, I know. Ooh, ooh, okay. And then we see Lisi see Scott in, on the property by the pool walking towards her. And he has brought her a wedding singer, inexplicably. Um, it's, a, it's a tall black man. He's the same one who was the wedding singer at their actual he wedding. He was. Uh, he's in a blue, a powder blue tuxedo. And he is singing Too Late to Turn Back Now. 
And we see her both see him and circling him and also sitting in an Adirondack chair and crying and yelling, which I'm pretty sure would bring the police to her. So I don't know if she's actually crying or yelling. And then she seems to wake up. So I don't know what of that was real. I mean, obviously there wasn't a dude, like a whole Mm -hmm. band in her yard singing. It's too late to turn back now. Um, but then she's chanting, I loved you, I saved you, I gave you ice, I loved you, I saved you, I saved you twice. And then, flashback, winter storm. She's going to Amanda's house, which is a house we're very familiar with. There's nothing around it. It is just a white house in the middle of a field. And right now, there's snow on that field. And she goes into Scott's, or into Amanda's house. Amanda yells at her to close the door. What was she raised in a barn? And I'm like, also, it's a snowstorm outside. Close the goddamn door. Right. Like, what are you doing? And this is a weird scene because for most of the scene, I thought that we were to understand that the character of Amanda, played beautifully by Joan Allen, mm-hmm. is blind because she is right. alone in our house. She's sitting in the kitchen at the table facing a wall. Now, there's a mural on that wall. Mm. I don't know if that mural is going to come into play at some point. But she's just sitting there looking at the wall. And for most of the conversation where Lizzie comes in and sits next to her, she's still looking at that wall. She looks over at Lizzie once. So I'm like, okay, well, maybe not blind. But I was like, oh, is this character blind? Like, did we just never know that this character was blind? Now, granted, she's in a trance much of the time we see her on screen. So kind of. But I don't think she's meant to actually be visually impaired. Uh, the impression that I got is that bizarre. She is she's actively seeing something somewhere else, and even so that here she's now even in this. Uh, it might be. It might be that she's in both places at the same time, so she's reacting to things that are elsewhere. Maybe okay, yeah, because it's just where she is seated alone mm-hmm. in our home, right? Is it's just. Uh, it's an odd, it's odd. The TV is on in the living room, which is a different room. And she is sitting what I believe would be perpendicular to it. Like the TV's mm-hmm. against the wall over there. And she's looking in in, a, in an opposite direction. Okay. But into this mural on her kitchen wall while sitting at the table. Do you it's, think this is how she focuses odd. and gets into the other side? I, I don't know. Okay, that. we'll probably learn that. Uh, I don't know. Five minutes before the the, the show stops. Um, but Lisi has gone there. Mm-hmm. Amanda's instantly like, "You're here because I'm I'm the crazy one." Which I'm like, I mean, even if that's true, use your powers for good. Like, right. I, like you care about Scott. I know you do. So I'm here. Like, what's happened is that Scott has gotten is he's retreating more and more. He's just canceled his book tour in California and she doesn't know, like, Lisi doesn't know what's going on with him Mm -hmm. um, and doesn't know how to save him, basically, or, like, bring him back. And they have a conversation um, and Amanda says, you know, when I go away, when I retreat, Mm -hmm. it's because I'm scared. Uh, I'm scared that I'm going to end up dying alone in this house with only my sisters to mourn me is her fundamental fear. Uh, and I go back in my mind to when we were kids and everything was not as complicated as it is now. 
And sometimes cutting helps me come back because the pain brings me back to the right. present. Eventually, that won't be the case, she says. She right. like she knows she's just going to go deeper and deeper and deeper, and then that's going to be it. And Lisi, you know, doesn't want to hear, doesn't want her saying cutting, talk about cutting. What she says, don't, don't cut yourself again. And I'm like, well, you're not hearing her, first of all. Like, as a person, okay. Mm, mm. TMI with Amity. Mm. Uh, as a former self-injurer, uh, no, you don't want the person that you love to cut themselves because it's painful for you to see them hurt. But mm-hmm. if she's telling you that the only way she can come out of this depression is to do that, you need to allow for that. Like, you can't just shut that down as an avenue because you know what that's going to mean? She's going to be gone. She's going to get in. What's happened to her now is what's going to happen. She's going to retreat so far that you can't get her back. Right. Okay. And is that better? (laughs) No. (laughs) So I'm not, you know, I'm not advocating self-injurious behavior. That's not what I'm doing. But I didn't like the way that Lisey handled this conversation with her sister because it really didn't feel to me like she was listening to her sister, even though she came there to ask her sister for help. So it just it bothered me a little bit. But um, she says, though, but you're, Scott's different because he has a tether here. Mm-hmm. He's not alone. Right. Like Amanda feels alone, and that's fundamentally her issue, right? is that she feels like the only people who care about her are her sisters. Scott has Lisey. If anybody can tether her, tether him here, it's going to be her. Inside of this conversation that she's having with Amanda, we are flashing back to the stay at the lodge. Their honeymoon. Right. Where the yum yum tree is. And he talks about, and we hear him talking about two types of insanity. The bad and the gone, and that they're in the blood. And um, she says, you know, thank you for talking to me, but I have to go because it's going to get dark and I don't want to drive in the dark. And she gets back to the the house. She goes into Scott's office. Uh, This is when you kind of see the whole downstairs. It's all furnished. It's like Mm -hmm. leather couches. And it looks like a a cozy hunting lodge or something. Or like a guest room or a guest house. Yeah. He is sitting up at his desk, but he is decidedly not present. He is, he looks very much like the way that Amanda looks in our current present day Uh elsewhere. And he is wrapped in the gold Afghan that she has been wiping her face with Mm -hmm. and that she had brought to Amanda. And she holds his hand and tells him to come back. And she there's the flashback again to the tree them under the tree and she's talking to Scott and after so there's there's three points in that trip to the lodge that we see we see them under the tree we see them talking later that night about what had happened under the tree and then we see them talking the next day and those three times are all sort of interspersed in here um so that night in their room, they're having a conversation where she's trying to get more information from him. And he's trying to say, you have to ask me the questions you want me to answer. I know what you want to know, but you have to ask me. This conversation is so uncomfortable for me because he sounds like he's about eight. 
the 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 way that he is speaking is so oddly childlike that it is uncomfortable to me because I'm like this woman is speaking to a man she is married to but don't you feel like a lot of his stuff is that way Yes. I mean, the scene but where he... particularly right. this scene. He puts Even his hand the through the window. Thing. He just yes. gives her these, like, childlike explanations yes. that make no sense. Yes. And she is able to go on and work with that. Yes. and But I don't think he's like that all the time. No. I just think he's like that when he's talking about Booyah Moon and mm-hmm. that whole thing. And likely because it started when he was, like, eight. Right. So he is sort of reverting, almost like a multiple. Okay. Okay. But it's... So disconcerting because she's sitting there. It's two grown people. Right. She's sitting there sort of massaging his arm, and he sounds like a child. And I'm like, what's happening right yeah. now? There's a lot that kind of creeps me out about this story in their and relationship. And I really love Clive Owen, and I've never mm. seen him in a part like this. Right. And I just want one scene where he just talks to her like a grown person. And I'm like, right. oh, look, a man that she is married to. Which we got on the on the voicemail. Mm-hmm. When he's like, hey, I'm going to take you out. Like, he sounded like an adult. Right. <laughs> he sounded like a grown mm-hmm. person. But when he's drinking or when we're dealing with the subject matter, it's all very childlike. And I just really would like one scene of a man and a wife talking like a man and a wife yeah. so that when she has to help him through this stuff, it doesn't feel so deeply creepy to me because it yeah. feels super icky. Um, so she gets closer and closer to her question. She asks how Paul heals and he says he took him to Booyah Moon when he was mm. cut and when he was dead and then he keeps prompting her again and she says, is it real? Or is it in my imagination? That's the question. That's right. the fundamental fundamental question. And then water overflows from uh, everywhere. Comes out of a lamp. Seems very dangerous. No, nope, bad idea. <laughs> and then they go back to Booyah Moon. And she, he says, what did you think of? Because I guess it was easy for them to, f- mm-hmm. to, to go this time. Right. And she says, the willow tree. The last time, the last, mm. the last thing that she, you know, was around. And she's like, oh, the flowers, can I touch them? Can I smell them? Are they dangerous? And he's like, I don't know. I don't think so. I tried to take one back once, but it died almost immediately. And she says, it's going to get dark soon. And he says, it never gets dark. The moon is always just there. It's this big, it's a harvest moon. It is orange. And mm. it is all right over the horizon. And there's a sign that says pool that way that Paul had made out of some crates when they were kids. Mm -hmm. And then we hear these cries in the dark. And she says, are there other people here? And Scott says, yes, but they're broken. And I'm like, well, that doesn't bode well for you guys. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's a monster in the trees. So what did this monster look like to you? I didn't see it very clearly. I looked at it a little bit closer today. Mm -hmm. And it appeared to be made out of people. It appeared to be a teeming mass of agonized people. That's what it looked like to me. Um, And the sounds that came out of it sounded like just multiple 
anguish sounds, like much anguish. And Scott tells her to think of something in the room. And she thinks of this weird fireplace that's in there. And then they return back. And then we are later in that same flashback. It's the next day. And they're in the lodge. It's weird because they're in this lodge. They're the only people staying there because it was snowed in or whatever. And they're in what appears to be the dining area. And they're sitting in dining chairs, but there's no table between them. And I'm like, this thing's very uncomfortable. I don't understand. And they're talking about the monster. And Mm -hmm. he says, it's a long boy. He says he's never seen it up close and he doesn't want to. But it's endlessly tall and it brings despair and sadness with it. Like it makes you feel despair and sadness. I'm like, oh, it's a Dementor. Well, (laughs) one, I I thought that's what I saw when I looked at it. People? Peoples. And it recalls the Clive Barker story. Which one? Um, In the Hills. I don't know this. It's about two rival cities in Yugoslavia. These two men stumble on a village, and they have a, a rivalry where they tie their bodies together and create a huge walking mass of writhing people. They puppeteer. Woof. Which that is, is scary. It's yeah. a very Clive Barker That feels kind of, like Clive Barker, yeah. for sure. And so when I saw this, I'm like, I know that Clive Barker is very fond of Stephen King, and Stephen King is very fond of Clive Barker, so I wonder if that was a... Maybe. Yeah, because I know that Clive Barker, he said that uh, when Stephen King said what he did, you know, Clive Barker is a horror writer and a playwright and going in different directions with his work, and Stephen King, who was at the time, and still is, of course, this giant in horror, Yeah. says, I've seen this future of horror, and it's Clive Barker. Yeah, that feels right. And what he did is that also, I'm pretty sure Clive mm-hmm. Barker is, um, he's, I think he might have that same kind of seizure disorder or whatever that, mm-hmm. um, he's like a mad genius. Right. Oh, yes. I, I think that um, there's a relationship between him and certain saints I've read about. I mean, Which yes. is that he's uh, seeing visions, yes. he's writing things down. That, I mean, not just writing things mm, down. Painting. The painting. The paintings are astounding. He's done like a mil, like... A million's too many. Mm-hmm. He's done thousands. I don't know a million's too many. It's, it's seeing the warehouses full of paintings. I I don't know. I uh, and he can't stop himself as compulsive. When I yes, worked as a bookseller, the thing. I um I was selling his books, and I thought because we have a sign Clive Barker first with um a drawing that he did in it. That we'll be able to, this will be great. We'll make a lot of money. And it was worth like $15. And I'm going, why is this so cheap? And one of the other sellers explained to me, because he does that in every book he signs. There's a drawing, there's a monster, yeah. there's a talking penis, there's something. There's something. Yeah. Um, and so he's sort of downmarketed himself by the fact that he's willing to do this at any given moment for any reason. Um, yeah, he's a very interesting person. I can see him lying in the sun and having visions and talking to the other side. Yeah, his, I mean, yeah, it's, oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. So I was just looking to see if there's an idea of how many paintings. I didn't realize that, I knew that he was largely doing paintings now, Mm -hmm. but I didn't realize that he'd been doing them for so long. Yeah, we, not a million, but thousands for sure. Mm -hmm. 
150 of them were used on the set of the Academy of the Unseen Arts for the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina show. Mm. They just were like, mm. hey, you got some weird shit? And he was like, I do. His visions are really... Barker's are very... Um, and I can say this about King as well, that King has a lot of biblical illusion. Yeah. Uh, it is where Clive Barker's work is very... It's about the flesh. Yeah. Carving in the flesh, writing in the flesh, mm-hmm. the, the, the And a lot of it is the combination or like the the pleasure to pain. Mm-hmm. Um the extremes of sensation. Yeah. And where they might cross. And so there's a lot of that. I, I like I said, I, I met him once on a book tour. Uh, where he was giving yeah, a I special met him lecture. Once too, yeah. And he was just a very friendly, very funny He was. He was a lovely, seemingly normal lovely person. Man. Yeah, I mean, I met Neil Jordan once. He with, didn't seem that normal, right? But not because of him, because of the people that he was with. He had right. two very large yes. men in leather just atten- attending to I him. I believe they were his bodyguards. <laughs> they looked like a Tom of Finland ad. They, it was very yes, funny. I don't know if they were bodyguards or uh, I, as when I saw them, maybe. Well, they were <laughs> they were touted as bodyguards. Okay, uh, I don't know that they were, but um, maybe some from column A and a little from column B. That seems to be his right. jam. <laughs> when I was uh, looking at uh, when I met Neil Jordan, the director, he was doing a reading. He seemed weirder, you know. And the, the, it's yeah, no, the, the he people, was so lovely though, right. just so warm. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I have seen Hellraiser. Sir. Right, where does this come <laughs> from? Is, Right. Well, yeah. with Neil Jordan, I don't know if you were there I for his reading. I guess you let it out in Hellraiser, yeah. and then you can be a lovely, warm individual. Like, he yeah. was a, no, a man was who great. was speaking so quietly that you couldn't hear his voice. And I'm glad we had a mic. Uh, but he did this sort of beautiful you know, lilt to his voice. But I remember having seen different authors and different writers and their approach. I was seeing Arturo Perez Roberte who wrote um, the book that became The Ninth Gate. He wrote yeah. the Club Dumas. And the, um, when I met him, he was just gregarious and friendly mm-hmm. and very, very funny. Really funny. So there's all sorts of different things with authors. Clive Barker, though, for a person who writes what he writes, he was really and well-adjusted. paints what he paints. Right. Maybe that's how he just gets it out. It's and exercised, so he is very well I adjusted. I don't know. I mean, he's been through some stuff. He had to prostitute himself oh, as a kid. Um, the story that he or told when us. when he was younger. Yeah. Not necessarily as a kid, but... Mm-hmm. Um, during his early years as a writer, he would occasionally work as a prostitute when writing did not provide sufficient income. Uh, but yeah, he is... Um, all of his stuff is not to my taste, but I respect him very much, and I think it's, he's a cool person. I respect the I, fact that he'll like go somewhere out there. that other people won't. Yeah. And Also, he wrote a kid's book, and I'm like, do what now? <laughs> I think that with, um, with a lot of writers, especially in this genre, they all say they won't go there. And what I mean by that is that you're dancing around what, yeah. Makes this horrific. What makes this yeah. terrible? Instead, yeah. this no, is he looks what it at is. it full in the face. Right in the face. He's not puts a you know, spotlight on it and mm-hmm. makes us look at it too. Yeah. yeah. And, and so some of the stuff in Books of Blood, I don't think I ever need to read some of the stuff again. That's fair. But it the fact that 
he's willing to address something like a sort of a voluntary, not suicide, but a very voluntary passive suicide, a person being stuffed in the floorboards of a house and being fed intravenously until they're no longer conscious and becoming essentially a host for mushrooms. That... Oh. Yes, which was also... Yeah, when they did okay. the film version of Bill, That's Bill, right, I forgot that that, that was, was based on his stuff. <laughs> one of the stories they adapted. I was like, that's so familiar. Um, but <laughs> the, the idea that someone volunteers for that because the burden of their life is too much for them, that's a direction that you don't see a lot of writers go in. And so we can go on with, you know, our, our vampire schools and our, you know, magic mummies. Hey, and I like all of these things. I know, don't and you do like those things, but what I'm saying is that <laughs> underneath there's an undercurrent of real savagery to it, and he's able mm. to discuss that in mm-hmm. very intellectual terms. Yeah. And so I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. No, he's he's awesome. We were talking about the Long Boys, so that's from the Long Boys. So, yeah, mm. maybe that is a, a yes. reference to, to that. I don't know. And I don't know if that's actually what I was seeing. Um, it, that's what I felt I was seeing, yeah. which is why I asked Because you. there are these things that like look like they're flailing off of its face, like uh-huh. like limbs or... Yeah, it's it's unclear. Um, she asks if it can come through, and his mm-hmm. response is probably not, which is, you know, his truth. Uh, but it's not very reassuring, <laughs> reassuring to her or literally no. anyone else. Um, but he says... He can hear it when he's writing. Um, and then he says that she's his anchor. And he says that there are doubles. Sometimes he's one, but Paul never was. I'm like, well, what the fuck does that mean? Because he says, uh, he's basically working his way through And we hear it a few times. I don't understand the connection to water. I don't understand what these are. I know that there are doubles. What I do know is the pool always heals. It just does. That's true. That's always mm. been true. Um and after the barn incident, they were on the path to the pool to heal Paul when the long boy came. And it basically fascinated Paul, and Paul uh-huh. went towards it. Um, and then we have a flashback, and it's Scott's flashback, which once again, I don't, I still don't quite know how we're seeing. A flashback was a flashback. And I don't, I also, I really wish they were explicit, because it wouldn't surprise me if part of Scott was still existent on this other plane uh-huh. and was feeding her these memories. And she was really seeing them. Mm-hmm. But I need you to tell me that that's what's happening. Right. Uh, there's already a lot that I am trying to glean. Mm-hmm. I need some shit to be explicit. <laughs> well, that's kind of what I, where I got really impatient with it because it's, I, I'm sitting here gathering things by inference. Yeah. And on some level, I like when I get to put together the story, too. Yeah. Um, but in this case, I'm putting the, together the story with not all the elements, so it okay. feels like putting together a jigsaw puzzle and there's just pieces missing. Yeah. And it's a black, just, just a solid black picture. Right. I, I, I don't know what I'm looking at. Because, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's putting together a, a, like a murder mystery mm-hmm. is one thing when it's set in our world and... And physics is physics, and we understand how yeah. people behave, and we see what motives are, and we understand, you know, we understand timelines and things like that. Putting together a mystery that has fantasy elements that you're not telling me what they are is uh, impossible and I, frustrating. I, I think this this story desperately needs Holly Gibney. Gibney. 
his new book that he's working on right now mm-hmm. is a Holly Gibney book. Oh, good. That's great. But I, I think that's what it means. I was just thinking of when we use the metaphor of a, a puzzle with pieces missing. Because he loves her so much. Well, of a, the <laughs> scene where she enters into, uh, what was it, in um, The Outsider, when she just guesses a, mis- a puzzle. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't like, like elephants. elephants right? <laughs> it's like, that's what we need. That's we need. what we, yeah, that is what we need. Um, so... We are looking back into Scott's childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul goes off. Scott's trying to get him to come back, but Paul goes off after Long Boy and then comes back screaming, and he's cut. He says, he got me. And his, lit, his, his arm is cut. And Scott says, that's okay, it's okay. We'll, bring, we'll go to the pool right. and we'll fix it. It'll always fix it. It'll fix it. And then Scott, the day after the Yum Yum Tree incident, says that they were marked then. They were known that they went other times before Paul died, and now when he thinks of it, it thinks of him, right? And she says, well, then don't think of it. And I'm like, well, that's clearly not going to happen. Um, A kaiju made of people, yes. I'm going to try not to focus on that, but it's going to come into my head unbidden sometimes. And then we are seeing her in front of Scott the day that he is not there. Mm. And she says, you know, if you're there, if you're in there, squeeze my hand. And he does. At which point she gets up and she's like, help me, help me. And she goes and turns on the water. And it seems like what's about to happen is she's going to try and go in there and get him and bring him back. Right. I don't know if that's what's going to happen. Because that's the end of the episode. And the next episode is The Good Brother so we're going to have probably some more fucking flashbacks that she has no right to know anything about. She has flashbacks about the flashbacks uh, that somebody else is having. But it's interesting because so, I, I remember talking to you about a film that I saw, uh, Sensei, that um, was really well-meaning uh, about a, a young uh, gay kid who learns martial arts to defend himself. And, but what killed it for me were the characters telling his story to another person in a flashback and there's flashbacks of characters in the flashback telling their flashbacks. And in the end, the story structure completely fell apart. It hasn't gotten that bad here, but it's getting there. Because I don't know how the person who's remembering these things is remembering memories that they could not have had. I, and it would be so easy for them to say, maybe, maybe they don't want to let us know what part of Scott is still in Booyah Moon. Mm-hmm. It's clear some part of it is. Right, because he's Because it's Kerr and Amanda... And it's him sitting there yes. in a hoodie, um, which means it's happening now, unless it's an omnipresent situation, mm-hmm. uh, which is... Could very well happen, because we have no idea. We don't what know. And they cover that here. He covers it by saying, I, do, I made up the rules. I don't know what they are. I'm just guessing that this... I'm guessing. I'm just trying to right. figure it out. Yeah, trying to figure it out. Um, so my sense is maybe that they're trying to lead us to not knowing that. But I feel like, especially with the flashbacks... And maybe it's because I've read too many books. If you're having my flashback, I need to know why. Or that mm-hmm. doesn't make sense. That is a that is a continuity error. It's not a blip. It's a big problem for her to be having flashbacks. And and it wouldn't even bother me. It, it wouldn't bother me at all if there was voiceover over the flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Like, consistently. Yeah. Then we know he's telling her this 
it's a visual media, medium, so I don't want to look at Clive Barker telling our story. I'd rather right. look at the story, excuse me. But, like, tell me that. Be explicit. When everything is so weird, I need you to ground me in some basic storytelling shit. But I'm still liking it. It's so pretty. It is really beautiful. Um, I, I it's rough it. looking at... Julianne Moore's going to be fucked up for the rest of this Unless show. she gets to this pond where it heals her face. And that's what I thought yeah. the direction the story is going into, is that she's going to use the curative powers and be able to exact some sort of revenge right. that she doesn't want the police around for. I feel like at some point, right, Dooley and she are going to be in Booyah Moon. Right. I, I don't feel like well, the fight's going to end on our you plane. You brought up the monster because the monster's going to show up again. I mean, right. you don't have a giant monster like that that might be made of people. Right. And then not have it play. That pizza cutter came back. There's no way a monster's not coming right. back. Right. I'm all for monsters. I like them. Pro monster. So next week we're going to watch episode five, uh -huh. The Good Brother. Okay. So we're going to get the rest of Paul's story. It's going to be sad. Well, it's going to be sad. There's going to be a lot of violence, I think. Yeah. Be prepared. Um, yes. I agree with you. Yeah, there's probably going to be a lot of child abuse in the next episode. Woof. Um, until then, do you have something that you would like to recommend? I'd like to recommend Equinox on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> I finished seeing it. There's a couple of things I am seeing, and a couple of... I actually had a pretty good viewing weekend. It is a series currently on Netflix. Uh, I believe there's going to be a, a second series to follow along with it because the ending is left very ambiguous but it has elements of picnic at hanging rock i think that i liked which is uh it focuses on a, a young woman in 1999 there's a a nine-year-old girl and she is uh celebrating her sister's graduation in there in denmark and apparently graduations there involve driving around in an open-sided bus and drinking lots of alcohol and wearing silly hats, or maybe not silly. But anyhow, uh, during this excursion, her sister disappears along with nearly everyone on the bus except for three I'm other survivors. I'm still unclear as to this disappearance. You have, you have, you told me about it like four times now, uh -huh. and I don't understand. Was the bus driver going and they just poofed? Did they all disembark from the bus and then never come back? Like, what happened? <sighs> They, my understanding is they disembarked from the bus briefly and then just were gone. Just were gone, okay. Uh, was, not like they wandered anywhere, it was almost that like... that the bus just poofed, but then that's not true. No, the bus driver is still alive. Yeah, okay. um, Some of the characters, the other characters are still alive. Okay. And they all hold sort of a secret. It is folk horror, it is along the lines of Midsummer or... We do love a folk horror up in uh, The Wicker Man. Or some of the other really, you know... Blood on Satan's Claw, which is a great... Despite the title, it is a great... It is a terrible title. A great you know, film. You have to agree to me, with me that that is a bad I, title. I've seen the film, and so the title doesn't bother me as much. But yes, if you were looking at a film and said, Oh, I have a choice of this film or Blood on Satan's Claw, you probably wouldn't Literally go with else. Blood on Satan's Claw. Literally anything else, yeah. But um, it... it has all sorts of really interesting elements to it. It's visually really striking. Um, there are scenes that take place in a sort of nebulous reality 
the nine-year-old girl grows up to be a very troubled grown woman who has uh, all sorts of dreams and nightmares about what happened to her sister and seems to have a psychic connection. And she was not there. No, she okay. wasn't. She saw her sister drive off, but she also was aware that both her mother and some of her sister's friends seem to be aware of some, some of the elements that led to the tragedy. And so she's trying to backtrack and research, but one of the more interesting elements about it is that she was, um, as a result of her depression, very heavily medicated and convinced that nothing, you know, that she wasn't having these uh, communications with her sister when she was a nine-year-old. So now, 21 years later, um, she's an adult, and she stops taking her medication in order to experience these things. But mm -hmm. the question being, is she having visions because she's off her meds, or is she having mm -hmm. vision, or did the meds actually stifle her stifle ability to visions, communicate right, right. with her sister? So there's a lot of really fun stuff. It's creepy. It, it, uh, yeah, it's creepy and it's fun. Uh, yes, there is sex in it. There is Yay. not that much violence actually. It's not that kind of story. No, I'm kidding. But um, for somebody who likes reading Arthur Machen and some of the other stuff... Uh, so it's good. I should watch it? Yes, you should watch it. Okay. Is it, And it's dubbed and subbed? or It's both, yes. Both, okay. And what I, I like is that they dubbed it in with people with Danish accents. Can I... Is there... Do you know if I can watch it in Danish with just subtitles? I... I think you can. I didn't do it that way because yeah. I just, every time I try to change something on the Netflix screen, I, something changes confused. irreparably. Okay, and gotcha. It's horrible. Um, I can help you with that. Um, I want to clarify why I ask that. Mm -hmm. I watch everything with subtitles. Very rarely in subbed and dubbed things are they subtitling with the dubbed script. So the words that are being said are usually markedly different from right. the subtitles being that I'm reading. It's like the gist of a sentence mm -hmm. said in totally different ways, right. and it is extremely hard for me well, to follow a story when I'm just going, that's not what he said, that's not what he said, that's not what he said, but that's not what he said, but that's not what he said. But that's not what she said. She didn't say that. She said something else. To like, that's all my brain is thinking the whole time. What I appreciated when I watched Marianne, which was a series I actually really enjoyed, mm -hmm. Uh, on Netflix, there was the subtitles were usually different from the spoken words. The spoken words also, the dubbing track was just sort of flat voices that sounded like um, the local high school drama team. I'm sorry, that sounds really rude, but that's, that's kind of what it did sound yeah. like. Um, and even people, people had voices that were inappropriate to their ages and everything. For some reason, in in this film, there's the the Danish accents to the characters. There's the uh, the inflection seems to be captured, and they seem to emotionally be following along with what's happening on screen. Yeah. Uh, so I thought that worked much better. Cool. But um, but yeah, especially the, the 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 sort of fantasy and dream scenes are really well done. So yes, I have to recommend that. Hoorah. So what about you? I am going to recommend. Um, first of all. Uh, Content warning in it for the loss of a child and a suicide attempt. So it's going to be a fun, it's a fun yeah, one. Yeah, sounds charming. Um, sometimes you just need to watch a movie and cry, and that's okay. what I did. When you were out gallivanting on Sunday, I watched a movie and cried. Uh -huh. <laughs> There's a new movie on Netflix. It's called The Starling. 
it stars Melissa McCarthy, Chris O'Dowd, and Kevin Kline. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry. Um, it is uh, about a Melissa McCarthy and Chris O'Dowd are uh, husband and wife, and they lose their baby uh, to SIDS, and he is uh, at a facility uh-huh. uh, to care for himself because he was unable to do so after the loss of their child. She is still working and carrying on and acting like, well, an adult because she doesn't have a choice carrying on with her life. And she is um, given the name of a psychiatrist in her area. And she goes, she realizes that she does, in fact, need some help. And she goes to him. That is the Kevin Klein character. He has not been a psychiatrist for 10 years. He is now a veterinarian. <laughs> and, um, yeah. And so it's the, it's a story of this group of people okay. and healing. And, uh, she ends up going back to him because she is trying to garden. She's trying to put some semblance of something back together. And she goes out to her garden and is accosted by a small bird <laughs> the st- a starling uh it uh it knocks her out of a ladder at one point mm-hmm. like it's really right. with her and so it's her trying to deal with it and everything else okay um and look i love i like melissa Car- mccarthy a lot and i love that melissa Car- mccarthy loves her husband and wants to support him but the movies that she does that aren't Ben Falcone movies are better than the movies right. that she does that are Ben Falcone movies. And I like Thunder Force. She's spectacular in this. Mm-hmm. Kevin Klein is a joy. Chris O'Dowd is like my favorite. I love him so much. Yeah. And I want him to be in more things. It's. Oh, there's a Timothy Oliphant. He plays her boss. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> um, it is. You're going to cry. You know the beginning of Up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that. That. That's going to happen to you right away. And uh, and then you're going to just watch this movie for an hour and 40 minutes and really feel your feelings. Right. There are really, really great performances. It's funny because she can't not be funny. Right. Um, he's both, both Chris O'Dowd and Melissa McCarthy are funny people. And Kevin Klein is funny people. These are serious things, but they're funny people. And so it's not this oppressive, mm. hopeless thing. It's about right. hope. It, that's what it's about. And it's it was really nice. I really, really enjoyed it. So I recommend it. Okay. Well, no, sometimes I, I watch movies just to cry too. I mean, I, I bowled my eyes out at the end of Valley of Guanji. You're going to do... You're going to mock me. I'm not going to mock you. That dinosaur died in a burning cathedral on fire, and I swear to God, I have yet to watch that movie without sniffling through the end of it. So it's a different kind of movie. But um, sure, Of Mice and Men is a good example of okay, a movie yes. that you go into it knowing you're that like, by the end go. of it... It's, yes. Get those tissues. Let's do this. <laughs> and you know what? Feelings are important. Yes. We all are having them. And this is a way, like a safe way to like pull a release valve a little bit. 
so you don't punch a coworker. You right. know, you all know what I'm saying. Uh, I know, especially what you're saying. All right. Punch coworkers. So that, I think, brings us to the end, right? Right. Next week, the good brother. It's, gonna, it's not going to go well for him, I don't think. Um, until then, if you have questions or comments or concerns, you can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at latecomerspod. Or you can find us on Facebook by searching Latecomers Podcast in the search bar. Um, I did maybe look into seeing about getting the Epics channel. We do have to pay for it. It's $5.99 a month with a seven-day trial. But Chapel Wait is on there. So that is the new prequel to Salem's Lot. And it looks very interesting. Are you still with me? Mm-hmm. I thought you left me. Um, so I think that may be the next thing that we're going to be doing. Okay. Unclear. All right. Might circle back to Mr. Mercedes' episode. Or season. Oh, that's true. We have access to it now. So we've got some possibilities. But for now, we're in Lisey's story. Lisey. And uh, forever. <laughs> not forever. Just four more. Until next week, I remind you to take your medicine, and we remind you better better late late than than never. never.